Welcome to Law & More, the podcast from award-winning Hong Kong law firm, Bose, Cohen & Collins, that explores issues in the legal world and beyond. In this first episode, our senior partner, Colin Cohen, meets Professor Simon Young, Associate Dean at the University of Hong Kong's Faculty of Law. Among various topics, they discuss how COVID-19 has affected students and lecturers alike, and the impact of the national security law on university teaching. As a scholar of constitutional law, Simon also gives his thoughts on Hong Kong's recent electoral reforms. All that and more coming up right now. Welcome, Simon. Tell me a little bit of what's keeping you busy today. Thank you very much, Colin. It's a real pleasure to be here. I basically wear three hats on a daily basis. I'm an academic at Hong Kong University Faculty of Law. I'm also a practicing barrister. I'm also an editor of several publications. Great. And at the moment now, being an external examiner of university, so I know about students, I see what's happening. COVID-19, how has this affected life at the university, especially with the learning process, Mm. the examination, and how staff and students have really coped with online learning? And has this compromised the quality of teaching at the law faculty for both PCLL and the law students? Mm. We have sort of alternated sometimes with full online courses. And we've also had what we call the hybrid or the mixed teaching where some students are in the class and others are online. Those take getting used to. Of course, uh, when I had my first mixed class, I uh, ended up basically doing it all on the computer. In other words, I had my computer in the classroom and the other students were in the classroom, but I was speaking to everyone through the computer. That's, I think, the only effective way to do that. You can't be walking around and pretending that it's still a classroom setting. So we had to get used to things like that. And how has it affected uh, student learning? Well, I think most students have come to terms with it. I mean, they're, I think, quite adapted to the online environment. I think some really like it simply because they don't have to travel all the way to school for class. They just roll out of their bed and turn on their computer and they're engaged. One thing I noticed as an external examiner, I saw the results last year seem to have slightly fallen in that those students who need help are having difficulties. And I may be wrong. I'd like to get your views. I remember when I was teaching, you know, knocking on my door around exam time, wanting to see me and be able to sit them down and give them some guidance on how to defeat the examiners. I completely agree with you, Colin. It's not entirely satisfactory. You don't have the additional conduct that you get, whether it's during the break or after the class. I think students are also more hesitant to ask questions in the online environment. So the learning during that classroom setting is not complete. And let me put it that way. I think students, you have to count on the students, and this is where it's usually the better students, to be proactive, to do follow-up emails or to do a one-on-one Zoom session with you. Those are the good students. That's why they continue to do well. But as you say, Colin, it's those weak ones. And I have noticed in my assessment of papers, most do well. And that's expected of the JD class, which is what I teach. But surprisingly, I'm seeing some really low marks. Not a lot, but in fact, I failed my first exam a student. I won't say which course, but one of my students failed in their exam. And I was entirely shocked as it never happened before. So you're right. I think the weaker students, unless they take proactive steps, they're going to fall behind. 
I remember when I was at Cambridge, our tutorials, we were spoilt, was into the tutor's room. Five or six of us, the port was poured out. And, and it was a very testing environment, talking the, the philosophical aspects of law. To some extent, you can still imitate that with the one-on-one Zooms. But again, it requires a student to proactively request that. You know, I'm totally zoomed out at the moment. <laughs> I, I dislike Zoom intensely. Anyway, today's an auspicious day, the 4th of June, and there is this big elephant in the room. So I really need to push you a little bit on that. National security law changes. What's the impact? How's that affected your teaching? Are there the red lines that you can't cross at the moment? Yeah, well, so that's a really big topic. Let's start with June the 4th. And I, I've done one interview on this already, and I found the questions very difficult to answer. In the past, the questions, of course, are what, what can you say, what can you do tonight in Victoria Park or on the street or even on your home? And so I had to really think about this because one has to now consult the national security law, the offense of subversion, uh, look at the elements of that offense. But what I did tell the journalists is the purpose of that offense is not to criminalize commemorations, you know, honoring the dead. If that's your purpose, you cannot be committing any offense, right? It's only if you have the intention to subvert state power, right? And so the tricky parts, of course, is all these other restrictions that we have about gathering together because of the health restrictions. And then also we have the public order uh, restrictions as well. Those, I think, are, are more problematic. And we, we saw someone is arrested already from possibly inciting an unauthorized assembly. So there are a lot of traps out there. But in principle, someone by themselves commemorating those who passed away in 1989, holding a candle, should not be offense whether you do that uh, at home or outside. Yes, I've been asked to advise people are going onto their balconies and with your mobile phone, putting your light on and putting your light out. I do not believe that is a breach of a national security law in your own home. Freedom of speech, I do believe that's still there. I think what concerns me is the freedoms one we're all facing vis-a-vis the sort of so-called COVID restrictions. For the last 40 days, no local infection. So it's this all reasonable. Lord Sumpton gave a wonderful podcast whereby he said, well, your civil liberties are being affected with COVID being the excuse. And at, at the moment now, it's not there. No, it's stopping right. people just going out to, under the basic law, freedom of assembly, freedom yeah. of speech. Is COVID being used as the excuse mm. or as a way out or not? Of course, there is always some justification for these restrictions. But I think what people need to understand that this is the exception, right? This is not the norm. We keep talking about the new normal. Well, the restrictions on your rights should not be the norm. Uh, it should be the exception. And if we truly believe in the principle of proportionality, once things get better, then those restrictions should be relaxed. Yeah. Well, I, I hope so. I, I entirely agree with you. Just sort of one which I am interested in to seek your views. We're very fortunate that mm. Hong Kong U alumni, the new Chief Justice, Andrew Chung, who I taught on the PCLL, believe it or not, has been appointed our first local trained Chief Justice. And yet today in the Times newspaper, Lady Hale, probably a great jurist, decides that she's not going to renew or ask for another term. And obviously, it's a source of pride for faculty to have someone as the Chief Justice, but how is he going to sort of cope with these sort of tensions, which are now 
coming out. Yeah, these are certainly the most difficult times, I think, for the judiciary. And in fact, it's good on him that he's decided to take on this very challenging role. And this news today, which broke, I think, in a way, deals kind of a blow to our system of foreign judges, because the question then is, what next? Is this this the beginning of a domino effect? I hope it it isn't. She did, uh, Lady Hale, give specific reasons to herself, and hence it may hopefully it's just in respect to her situation. So hopefully it's not a kind of a domino effect because the court, of course, has only recently appointed another permanent judge. Yeah. And in fact, they'd been down a permanent judge for several months. And so it'd been actually relying a lot more on its non-permanent judges. And so the foreign judges are really critical in helping the court in its work. But yes, you're absolutely right. A very difficult times. As to Chief Justice Jung, excellent choice. I had the opportunity to appear before him before in public law cases very bright man. So I think he'll continue to be exemplary uh, in that way and also really great judicial sort of behavior. And it's always a pleasure to sort of be a Hinnis court. We had a very good hearing before him in the Court of Final Appeal, which resulted in a win. Very rare, but the retrial is now taking place. This was a criminal case, which is not his area, but he was still asking very pertinent questions. The other elephant in the room I do want to ask you about is students, how are they reacting to national Mm. security law? Has it been taught as part of your curriculum? Well, it's still playing out. Many uh, of our students were either maybe involved in the protests, they were obviously very sympathetic to the protesters. So it's uh, very hard for them to sort of swallow. But of course, I think they're trying to learn as much as they can about it. In terms of what we have to do in teaching, there's two things. We're actually offering some courses in this area just in our faculty. We have one colleague who will be teaching uh, a more academic kind of course. But then uh, as universities are expected generally to teach national security for all students in all disciplines. And so that's now sort of playing out. And and our faculty has been asked to help you know, generate some uh, course material in that regard. It'd be more sort of basic material. So we have some opportunity to make a contribution there. Hopefully we can present a more full and balanced view of the topic. I find it quite interesting that my six-year-old grandson <laughs> And the French International School, determined to have national security law. I just noticed something about Hong Kong (laughs) U, generally speaking, being a part of the alumni, having taught there. I see it's now ranked 21st best law school globally. That must give some, you know, to yourself and to your dean. And I think that's important for your recognition. You must have a bit of a kudos. And how do you get higher up those rankings? No, it's certainly noteworthy. Of course, I mean, these th- things can change. And the way in which uh, these rankings are done sometimes, it's maybe a bit superficial and driven by data. So we, of course, uh, pay attention to them, but nothing rises or falls because of these rankings. But they are very well received simply because they allow us to help attract very good students. We already get the good uh, local students, but it's the international students, I think, is quite important for them to see these rankings and then also staff as well and then also just it helps our collaborations so those who are also in the top uh, 20 or 25 more willing to sort of collaborate with us on different activities Uh, so it it is uh, a quite important kudos that we welcome and uh, we hope that we continue to maintain well well, many congratulations you are still a sought-after practicing barrister But how do you balance that with your university commitments? I think I should give a full and frank disclosure here. 
one reason why I left the faculty was that I was doing a lot too much practice and I had to make a choice to go to private practice. And of course, we're in battle in a week's time in the Court of Appeal to try to change the law. So tell me how you deal with that, with the balance between the two. It's not easy. I know it from firsthand experience. That's right. Not easy at all. And well, partly I was inspired to do this by my own teachers. I had very great fortune to have teachers at the University of Toronto and, and at Cambridge who also did similar things, practice plus teaching. And that's what I thought I would want to do as well. But it is very, very difficult. Plus also university administration these days also takes away a lot of time. But I think university, of course, imposes strict restrictions on how much I can practice. Every case that I do, I have to obtain permission through an outside practice approval mechanism. But I I try to do cases that can help complement my teaching and research. And in in that way, they're sort of symbiotic. And in many ways, then, because I have some expertise or knowledge in that particular area, then it helps, facilitates the time I need to maybe prepare for the case. So there are efficiencies that can be made on both ends. And because, of course, my exposure to practice gives me a lot of ideas for research. And I find I'm a much better teacher I find students, they have a lot of practical questions and I'm more more able to answer them. So I mean, it's been a great experience in that sense uh, in being able to do both. And especially the case we're doing, which will have an interesting point of law, which I won't say anything about now, but it certainly could be of great interest. I hope to come up to university and do a joint mm-hmm. seminar with you. The other area which I do want to talk to you about is this constitutional law, mm-hmm. this electoral reforms, the new the ordinance, which is now going to be in place, yeah. it's going to come into effect with regard to the elections and all the rest as well. Your views, your comments, how, how do you feel about this? Yeah. So I, I did a, a blog post for a German blog on this. And I think generally speaking, I welcome the purposes. I think the dysfunction in LegCo has been most unfortunate. We haven't been able to achieve very much with LegCo in the last few years. So I welcome that. But at the same time, I wonder if they had to do so much in taking away people's rights to vote and also in having a screening mechanism and nomination restrictions. In some ways, I think they have gone a bit too far. In particular, you have to remember, we still have a constitutional right to vote and also to stand for elections without unreasonable restrictions. And in my post, I question whether some of the hurdles now amount to unreasonable restrictions. For example, the fact that you can't judicially review the decision of this vetting committee, uh, I think is problematic. Uh, I think having the additional two nominations from every subsector of the election committee before you can run for LegCo is kind of an overkill, especially when there's going to be a vetting committee who's going to be looking into your national security worthiness. Uh, Why do you have to also get two additional? So it's going to be difficult to enter politics. It's going to deter people. We might not get the full quality and the talent that we want to have for LegCo. But I look in the long term because I'm hoping that we'll see how it goes this time. And uh, the standing committee can relax and hopefully they will going forward. It's the political system that they put in place is not meant to be static, right? It's meant to be dynamic. And hopefully we move towards universal suffrage. Right? Universal suffrage was not possible last time uh, because you have the opposition. And if, if that did not change, it would never have been possible. At least now there's a possibility. Yeah, I entirely agree with you. I'm concerned myself over our 
legal functional constituency. The first time I ever knew about this China Law Society was when this came up. I had no idea and I still don't. Put it aside, I'm just hoping there will be candidates of, of stature. And I think we've been quite lucky in the past that the people who have stood in our constituency have been, I think, been overall good people. But anyway, Hong Kong has been for a challenging two years. The social unrest, COVID, significant new legislation, national security, governance. How do you assess the future of our city? Are you optimistic? Well, it's change that we've never had before. And I think if one accepts that there are some things that have changed and they won't come back, but yet there are other goals and other things to look forward to, then I think one can accept what's going on so long as you don't compromise your bottom line, as you say. Right? And for me, of course, our fundamental rights and freedom, our rule of law, uh, these are the bottom line. Uh, for me, for the most part, uh, is still left intact and is still strong. So as an academic, I'm always excited and interested in changes in the law and how the law develops. So that intrigues me intellectually. But of course, will our way of life change it? At this point, not really, unless you're sort of in the pro-democracy camp. Obviously, things have gone very bad there, and that's uh, most unfortunate. But I think also people who hold power now, they will change as well. And with people changing on that front, uh, maybe there might be uh, some changes in policy as well. My view is that as long as I'm able to defend anybody, and, and part of being a lawyer here is the ability to prosecution to prove their case. I'm there to defend. I remember when I was at Cambridge, Professor Perry, gave this lecture that even Eichmann, the worst war criminal, deserved the right to be properly defended. So I'm, that to me is one we're prevented from doing our jobs, but we're nowhere near that at the moment. I would hope that no. we're able to deal with this. Mm. Professor, friend, Simon, thank you so much for being part of the Bose, Cohen and Collins podcast. Best of luck and looking forward to having you with us again. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Colin. You've been listening to Law and More, brought to you by Bose, Cohen, and Collins. If you've enjoyed this episode, please don't hesitate to subscribe on your favorite podcasting app. For more legal news and updates, please visit BoseCohenCollins.com, or you can find us on social media. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you all soon on our next episode.